Things I wish Jesus never said, and I'm excited about tonight. Uh, last week was cool to have Steve Frittle here. He did a great job sharing with us. Uh, but I'm excited to kind of dig back into uh, Jesus' most famous sermon. We're going to look at Jesus' most famous sermon in the Bible. It's his mountain sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew 5 through 7. Things I wish Jesus never said. And I want to challenge you. Each week we've been uh, trying to challenge you to dig into the scripture. So this is, this is unique for us. We have uh, a five-week series focused on three chapters of the Bible. And so he said, what if we dug in deeply and each week we read through the entire Sermon on the Mount at least once, right? And prayed through it and just asked God to teach us, to give us what he's got for us from there and just see what happens. Because it's easy for us to kind of get out of the rhythm of spending time in the Bible, right? Like it's easy to do that. And I know some of you are very consistent and some of you it may be a struggle. And so he said, let's challenge each other to get in into this very specific three chapters of the Bible consistently and not just read it once but to read it over and over and over again for depth right? Pray through it and see what God has for us that way. So I want to continue that challenge this week. I challenge you to dig into the Sermon on the Mount. Read it at least once. One of the things that I did this week that was really helpful for me um, I went on a hike and uh, over at Silver Creek. I like to go to Silver Creek and I had my phone with me and I had an app that a Bible app, and all you got to do is go, and you hit one button on there, and then you can listen to it. It's amazing technology. It's amazing, right? So for some of you, that might be an easier way, and that actually might be a, vet, a better way. You might be an auditory learner. That might be a better way for you to, to dig into the sermon, and it allows us to, to kind of listen to it a couple different ways. So I, I would encourage you to do that. Dig in this week. Will you do that? Okay, a couple head nods, that's good. Alright, good. Um, so he said that uh, this sermon is a unique sermon because this is actually Jesus' own description of his followers, right? So if you ever wanted to know, like, what should we look like? What should we act like as followers of Jesus? Well, this is his own words. This is who we are. We said that this is challenging. Like, this, this is tough stuff. There'll be times when you read this that you feel like you've been smacked in the face a little bit. There'll be maybe times when you get discouraged. Uh, if you're honest, how fall you how short you fall as you read this. And I want to um, just encourage you, like, that's okay. It's okay to feel that way. But I want to remind you um, that God loves you. And as you love Him, He's changing. As you love Him and as you follow Him, He's changing you from the inside out by His Holy Spirit working in your life. So you're not alone. Like, as you read this, you may go, oh, I don't know if I could ever live this way. Like, if, if I'm honest with myself, this is really, really hard to live this way consistently. Remember, God loves you and he gives you his spirit. If you follow him, he gives you his spirit to change you from the inside out. And don't forget that when you've made a decision to follow Jesus, God's not keeping like some heavenly scorebook on you, right? He's not marking off every time you fall short, every time you fail, right? God offers us grace and he offers us forgiveness and he's patient with us. So he said, don't get frustrated. Like as we read this, don't get frustrated because you fall short. You will, and so will I. But as Christians, as followers of Jesus, if you've embraced the gospel, be grateful for God's grace and God's patience and God's forgiveness of you as you become aware of your shortcomings as you read this. And we said, if you're not a Christian, if you haven't embraced the gospel yet, and you're, and you're here and you're kind of evaluating who Jesus is, first of all, know that this is a safe place. I'm so glad that you're 
here. But my challenge to you tonight would just be to consider what Jesus is saying here and know that he loves you right where you're at tonight. Wherever you're at, right where you're at, God loves you. But if you've embraced the gospel, like, don't be okay. Be reminded of his grace. Be reminded of his forgiveness. Be grateful for that. But don't be okay with your shortcomings. Like, we can do that a lot of times, right? Like, this is just, I, I've struggled with this for a long time. I'm probably going to always struggle with this. Don't do that. But, but commit to Jesus that he has leadership in your life. And then get excited about him changing you, right? Like, that is an exciting process. His Holy Spirit living inside of us and changing us. Because what you might look at as impossible in your life today can be very possible tomorrow or in two weeks or in the next year if you seek Jesus with all that you've got. So we've said we're all probably people who like to be comfortable, right? Like I, I would prefer, if I, have, if I have my choice, I would prefer to be comfortable. I prefer to have kind of an easy like life. And if I'm honest, there's things that Jesus says that make me uncomfortable. There's things that Jesus says that are hard and I wish that he never said. Because these are things that are very challenging for us. These are things that many times are very countercultural. They're, they're many times counterintuitive for us and really convicting. And so I want to warn you tonight. You love it when a sermon starts off with a warning, right? I want to to warn you tonight that what we're digging into might be uh, some of the most challenging stuff that Jesus says, period. And tonight, if you're investigating Jesus and you're you're kind of deciding if this is who you want to follow, if this is is who you want to be the, the Lord of your life, I think it's really good for you to hear this. Because it's important for you to understand what Jesus calls us to as his followers. When we make a decision that I believe what he says about himself is true and I'm going to choose to follow him, it's important for us to know what that means, right? And tonight you're going to get a bit of a chance to hear of what that means. And I want to say this too, like I make no, tonight's going to be hard, okay? I'm just warning you. But I make no apologies for that. I'd be a pretty lousy pastor if I apologized for God's word, right? I don't make any apologies for that. Um, if, if, if you listen to this and you go, ah, this is too hard, that's your choice. You can, you can make that decision. That's your prerogative. And what you hear tonight might sound upside down to you. Well, it is. Because God's kingdom is kind of an upside down kingdom compared to any other kingdom we experience here on earth. And as you listen tonight, it might even sound a little bit un-American to you. And it kind of is a little bit un-American. And that's okay, too, uh, because Jesus wasn't American, right? I mean, come on. But if you listen with an open heart and you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you tonight, and that's what I've been praying this week, you allow the Spirit to speak to you tonight through the text, I think that you'll see just how liberating and how beautiful life can be when we follow Jesus the way that he challenges us to follow him. So I was thinking um, tonight, like, when I wanted to kind of share with you the big picture of what Jesus is talking about in these verses that we're going to look at. And I think I want to tell you right here at the beginning, okay, so that you can stew on it a little bit. Uh, what Jesus is talking about, I've talked a couple weeks ago, there's a couple theologians that I really respect that as I'm trying to kind of wrestle with these passages, interpret it, I pull a lot from. One of these guys, as he was summarizing this passage that we're going to look at tonight, here's his summary. Here's how he says it. It's from Don. Carson. He says, what Jesus is saying in these verses more than anything else is that his followers have no rights. It's challenging. What Jesus is saying in these verses that we're going to look at tonight more than anything else is that his followers 
have no rights. Just like Jesus gave up his rights as God the Son and sacrificially gave his life for you and for me at the cross, you and I, in the very same way, are called to relinquish our rights and our dues and instead live by personal sacrifice. Like to be, to be people of the cross. You and I as followers of Jesus are to be people who live the way of the cross. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. We have no rights. Sounds crazy, right? Like it, it sounds tough. It is tough. It sounds a little bit upside down. It is upside down. It almost sounds un-American, right? Because like, we're Americans. We have all kinds of rights. We have all kinds of privileges. We have all kinds of freedoms. Well, it is a little bit un-American in that way, at least. But it sounds beautiful to me. And it sounds liberating to me. And guys, 100% it is. So I'm excited to look at this tonight. So if you've got your Bibles, flip them open to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Um, we're going to pick up in, in uh, verse 38. If you don't have a Bible of your own, uh, we would love for you to have one. There's a whole table full of them back there. Take that with you. In the church Bibles, it's page 786. So Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. And as you're flipping there, let me kind of just give you, a, remind you a little bit of the context of what's happening here. So a large, a large crowd is gathered around Jesus. Jesus has been teaching, preaching. He's been doing healing. And there's a large crowd gathers around him. And he's standing at the base of a mountain. And so he kind of climbs climbs up the side of a mountain a little bit so he's above the people so that his voice would carry so that a large group of people could hear him. No microphones back then. And he begins to teach them. And we pick up kind of uh, into his sermon a little bit, kind of in the middle of his sermon. So Jesus has told them about some of the qualities that his followers should have and then the blessings that they receive by living that way. Those are the Beatitudes, right? We talked about that two weeks ago. And then he talks about how his followers are called are salt and light. Salt and light. Two things that were incredibly valuable, incredibly influential in Jesus' time. Affecting everything that they came in contact with. You and me are salt and light. Incredible value, incredible influence that we have. And then Jesus talks about some of these upside down aspects of the kingdom of God. He brings up six things. They're called the six antitheses. Kind of fun to say. The six antitheses. Steve talked about the first two last week. I'm going to talk about another one tonight. There's six of them, and they all kind of start out. Jesus kind of presents them the same way. He says, you have heard it said, or you have heard, or you might, uh, you might have thought, but I say, dot, 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 and then he authoritatively explains the true meaning, the heart meaning of these six things. You might have heard, but I say, and he explains kind of the meaning of the heart for each of these things. And so last week, Steve talked to us about how Jesus said that murder and adultery they weren't just physical acts that were condemnable, but instead they're actually issues of the heart first and foremost. And sometimes we need to deal with those issues in really radical ways to expel them from our lives. So anger and hatred and lust can be deadly for us, and they can quickly consume our lives if we hold on to them. That's what we talked about last week. I encourage you, if you missed that last week, check it out online. Steve did a really good job with 
that. And so after that, Jesus talks about divorce then, and he talks about taking oaths. And in a nutshell, we're not going to dig into this too much, but in a nutshell, he says, talking about divorce, basically he says marriage is a big deal. Like marriage is a lifelong commitment, it's a big deal, and divorce should be the last option. So essentially what Jesus says there. And he talks about oaths, and he says, instead of feeling like we need to be people who take oaths about everything and swear about everything, instead we should be people who just let their yes be yes and their no be no. Like we as his followers, we need to be people of our word. Like when we say yes to something, we should follow through with it, right? When we say no to something, we should mean it, right? People of our word. So then we get into this little section that is titled in my Bible, probably most of yours too, an eye for an eye. I want you to check it out. Matthew 5, starting in verse 38. So this is Jesus talking. He says, you've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. It's challenging, right? There it is. An eye for an eye. You know, it's funny. When, when my kids have something uh, done to them, like, some, like someone does something to hurt them, like when somebody pinches them or, or somebody hits them or something like that, the one who was hurt, like almost always, almost always, maybe always, wants to hit the other one back. Right? Like, probably every single time. It's like this innate human response. You hit me, I want to retaliate. It's like, Aaron, you hit me, I get a free shot. I get to hit you right back. And almost always, the second hit is a little bit harder than the first hit. Right? Those of you with kids know exactly what I'm talking about. A little bit, sometimes it's a lot harder than the first hit. So like Natalie, with my situation, my kids are Luke and Natalie. Natalie hits Luke, so then Luke will hit Natalie back harder. Right? And then I got to just discipline Luke, I gotta discipline Natalie, and I gotta send them both up to the room, right? That's kind of how it works. This retaliation is like innate in who we are. It's just part of who we are. Well, back in the Old Testament, in a few places, Exodus 21, Leviticus 24, Deuteronomy 19, in a few places, we have this famous law, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, that God gave the Israelites in order to keep peace. And it was this sort of societal ruling ethic, okay? This was this ethic that God gave them to rule their culture when one person offends or abuses another. And so it was meant to clarify the appropriate punishment dished out by the judges on someone who hurts another person. Does this make sense? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. So let me give you some, some kind of background on this because it's important for us to understand that. Three, three things. First thing is this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It was prescriptive. And here's what I mean by that. So in one sense, um, when you do this, then the punishment that you you get is this. There is a prescribed punishment for every offense. Like you steal and butcher and eat someone's cow, then you have to pay them the going rate for a cow plus 25% or something like that, right? It was prescriptive. You do this offense, then you have this punishment. It kind of goes along with it. So that's one thing. It's also, so it's 
prescriptive, but it's also restrictive. And here's what I mean by that. It kept the punishment appropriate to the offense. So it didn't let the punishment go too extreme. So like if, if Natalie pinches Luke, Luke's not allowed to give Natalie a black eye, right? That would be extreme for a pinching, right? So you steal someone's cow, you aren't punished by death. That would be an extreme punishment. So eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, it was restrictive. It kept the punishment balanced to the offense. So it's prescriptive, it's restrictive, and then this is important. This was a societal rule. This wasn't an individual rule. So this punishment was, it wasn't designed to be dished out by the individual. It was designed to be dished out by the judges, by the rulers, by the state. So this wasn't for the individual to do and then to decide upon and then collect on. Like, where's my cow money, man? Where's my cow money, right? That's that's not how it works. The state, the nations, the rulers, the courts, they're the ones who bestowed the punishment, which is healthy, right? It keeps things from escalating too far. So it's, so it's not like, um, you stole fruit from my orchard, therefore, I feel like it's appropriate to, um, uh, to burn down your orchard. You burn down my orchard, so I feel like it's appropriate to burn down your house. You burn down my house, so I feel like it's appropriate to kill your family, right? Like, it could get out of control really, really quickly if it's left up to individuals. So this was a state thing. This was something that wasn't for individuals, but it was for the judges to decide upon. So that's the law that Jesus is talking about here. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. At a societal level, in order to keep peace and restrict chaos and violence and vigilance, eye for an eye was needed and it was good. In fact, much of our legal system is based off of this today. But then Jesus, oh Jesus, Jesus says something that if I'm honest, there's many times I wish that he never said. Because eye for an eye is wonderful at the, at the national, at the civic level. It keeps order in our society. But at the individual level, what Jesus calls his followers to is very, very different. And it's a standard that's much, much higher. Look back at, at what he says in the verses. Verse 38. He says, You've heard it said, eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you... Remember, he's talking to his followers. This is what his followers should be like. He says, But I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Man, I don't know what you think when you read that. But man, I think, that's really, really tough. Like, that's a game changer. Eye for an eye, I can live with that. But wait, don't, don't resist an evil person? Somebody smacks you on the cheek, you turn to them the other cheek? Like when you read this, it's really important to understand that this is contextual, right? So Jesus was talking to a group of first century Jews. He would use different examples if he were talking to us today. So we have to do a little bit of the hard work to understand the principle that Jesus is teaching here and then apply it to our context, to our lives. He says, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. And then he gives four examples of what this would look like to a first century Jew. I had an example just this morning of what this would look like today to me. 
I went downstairs this morning, and my wife's Marsha, and I went to give her a hug, and um, I gave her a hug, and I went high on the hug, right? Like, I went up here, and she went down here, and I go, and I give her a hug, and I pull her in, and she tickles me in my most ticklish spot in my entire body. And I thought, I want to retaliate. I want to tickle her back. But instead, I just stepped back and I said, I will not resist an evil person. <laughs> Lifting my arms. If you want to tickle my arm. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, but Jesus says, Jesus says, I tell you, don't resist an evil person. And then he gives four examples of what this would have looked like in the first century. And if you're like me, you can look at these examples. I can look at these examples and I can immediately start thinking of exceptions to them. Like I'm kind of contrarian in my thinking. And I so, so I would think, like, what, what if somebody wants, you say, don't resist an evil person. What if somebody wants to abduct my child? And they come up and they punch me in the jaw. What are you saying, Jesus? I should turn the other cheek, let them punch the other side, and take my kid? Is that what you're saying? Don't resist an evil person? Well, clearly that's not what Jesus is meaning here, right? Well, Jesus, what if I see, what if I see some guy begging at the corner in the morning, and then in the afternoon I see him over at the Giant Eagle Park parking lot, uh, packing up a bunch of liquor into his Cadillac, and then later in the day, I see him begging at the corner, and he asks me if I have any spare change. What are you saying, Jesus? Are you saying that, like, I have to give to that person? Come on. Well, again, that's not what Jesus is saying. This is important. There's exceptions to these. Like, we have to use wisdom. We have to understand the principle that Jesus is teaching, and then apply it to our situations with wisdom and and discernment. Jesus' examples, they're not universally applied to every context. And it's not always black and white in how to do that. And we have to be okay with that. Like, we have to be okay with that. But his principle is universal to us. Think, think us laying down our lives. That's generally the principle that Jesus is giving us here. Relinquishing our rights, laying down our lives. The principle is universal. And we have to think, how do I apply that to my situation? So I want to make sure that, that we all know um, what Jesus meant in these examples that he gives these first century Jews. Um, I want to kind of make sure we're all on the same page. And then I want to spend the rest of our time applying it to our lives. Some of them are easier to understand than others. But he says, don't resist an evil person. And then he gives us four examples of what that would look like. So he starts off, he says, if someone strikes you, instead of an eye for an eye response and striking them back, he says, humbly turn to them the other cheek. Now listen, I got this wrong for a long time. I didn't, I, I had a misunderstanding of what Jesus meant here. I think this can actually be a little bit confusing. This, this, what, this would have likely been an insult. Like don't think physical violence here. Like trying to hurt somebody physically. This would have likely been an insult. A backhand slap on the cheek wasn't so much a violent way to hurt someone as much as a way to insult them and to disrespect them. That's essentially what, it, what, what Jesus means by that. So Jesus' point here was talking about not trading insults with somebody even when they unjustly insult you and speak bad about you. His point is, don't retaliate. Don't resist an evil person. When somebody insults you, if you're my follower, we don't retaliate. Even though you might have the right to. Even when, when they've done something, they've said something that's not true, that's improper, we don't retaliate. And I hard, right? You ever had someone do that to you? Like insult you unjustly? Yeah, probably all of us have. What do you want to do? Immediately, I want to insult them back. That's my first response. My second response is I want to defend myself, right? 
Jesus says, no. Take it. Don't retaliate. Whew. He goes on, he says, if someone sues you for your shirt, or it might say tunic in your Bible, my Bible says tunic, instead of fighting for every last thing that you could get, give them your cloak or give them your coat as well. And this is interesting. The cloak or the coat back then, that was something to a first century Jew that it was illegal for somebody else to take. It was illegal. It was like an absolute bare necessity that no matter how much you owed somebody, they were not allowed to take your coat from you. It was a necessity to life. But Jesus says, hey, forget about your rights. No one has the right to do that. They want to take your shirt. Give them your coat as well. Jesus says, forget about that. If they want to sue you for your shirt, give them your coat. Stuff's not important. Trust me. I'm the God who provides for you. See the big picture. He goes on, he says, if someone makes you walk a mile with them, go too. This sounds weird to me. I don't know what it sounds like to you. This sounds weird to me. But it would have made perfect sense to Jesus' original audience. Because back in Jesus' day, the Roman soldier, which Rome kind of ruled everything at that time, right? A Roman soldier could make a civilian carry their baggage or their equipment um, if they wanted to. Just kind of at a whim for a prescribed distance. Which, like, think about that for a second. Like, think about how annoying and how irritating that would be. Right? Like you, you may have your own stuff. You may have your own baggage. And they could come up to you and say, Hey, Matt, come over here. Carry this for a mile. Jesus says, if someone makes you carry their stuff for a mile, instead of being annoyed, instead of being irritated, offer to carry it for two miles. It's crazy. He goes on, he, ends, he says, give to the one who asks to you. Which I think what he's saying there is don't be stingy, right? Like don't turn away from them. But as you're able, give to those who are in need. I think this one's kind of self-explanatory, but it's not always easy, right? And it can get very, very messy very, very quickly when we apply it to our lives. Like, what do you mean by need? Do they really need that? Right? How do you define need? So what's Jesus' point with all of these? Well, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's great at the societal level, right? At the community level. It keeps order. It keeps peace. But for Jesus' followers at an individual level, we should worry a lot less about our rights and our dues and what we deserve. It's interesting, in, um, in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul, the Apostle Paul, talks to the Corinthians about something very similar. So these are, they're, they're, he's trying to help them see the big picture. And they're suing each other because, so these are the Christian church, people suing each other because their rights have been violated. And Paul says to them, he says, why not rather be cheated? He's like, what are you doing? You're suing each other? Why not rather be cheated? Why not rather be wronged? Like, think about the example, Corinthians, that you're setting to the world. Think about the example that we're setting to the world. Remember what, what Carson said. I summed up these verses. What Jesus is saying more than anything else is that his followers have no rights. I want you to stop for a second. I want you to think about that. Like, this isn't Jeff Martell telling you this. You could ignore me, right? But this is Jesus describing what his followers look like. How do you do with this? Like, think, think about yourself. Think about your situation. And don't try to think about the exceptions. It's easy to do that. Well, this was written a long time ago. Like, we're in a different time. We're in a different age. Like, we don't apply this to today. Don't do that. Think about what this looks like for you in your life today. 
What does it look like for you to lay down your rights? To not worry about what you deserve. To not worry about what you do. And think about the impact that that has on the world. I was at... um, at my, my uh, favorite place this week to pray. I was actually at the coffee shop in Barberton in the morning doing a little studying and then preparing for this. And then I went to uh, this church. There's this church in Barberton that I really like. It's always open. I like to go in there and pray. And so I went in there and was praying. Actually, I was praying for you guys and just my message and my family and that sort of thing. And it was like some good prayer time, you know. And so I'm feeling good. I walk out of there and uh, I have to cross the street. And um, as I was getting ready to cross the street, there's a car coming, and then there was another car kind of a ways back behind them. And so the first car goes by, and I have plenty of time, right? So I, I step in, I start to cross the street, and just as I do, I swear this car speeds up. Like it speeds up to go faster, you know? And so I have to, like, I had plenty of time when I stepped into the street, but once I get in there, it speeds up, and I have to, like, hurry and scamper across. And on the other side of the street, there's this big SUV, like this big escalator or something. And, you know, so it's, st- so it's parallel parked. It's sticking out way into the road. And so I run now across the street, and I have to, like, get close to this thing, and then this car gets really close to me. And I'm like, who does this person think they are? Right? Like, I am a pedestrian. I have the right of way. I want to get in my car and like follow them and just talk and say, what are you doing, right? I was so ticked off. And then all of a sudden, I just stopped. I was like, what am I doing? Like, this is exactly the opposite of what Jesus is teaching. This is exactly the opposite of what I've been praying about. All I could think about is my rights being violated. What this person did to me. I thought, why not rather lay my life down? not worry about my rights being violated. Like, I don't know about you guys, but this doesn't come naturally to me. I want what I want, right? Like, naturally, I'm an aggressive person. It's not easy for me to kind of passively step back a little bit and allow myself to be wronged. Naturally, I think about what I deserve. Naturally, I think about what I have the right to. Naturally, I want to defend myself when somebody's insulting me. Naturally, I want to keep what's mine. It's what I've worked for. How about you? Like, how are, how are you naturally wired? Is it different than what Jesus teaches here? Probably is. Let me ask you this. How important is living for Jesus to you? Like, is it... This is uncomfortable. I realize that. Is it important enough to lay down your rights and say, Jesus, you've saved me. This is how you called me to live. I will lay down my life for you. There's a few things, and this is how I want to kind of wrap up our time. There's a few things that, um, as I've been studying this, kind of just really hit my heart that I just want to share with you and have you chew on a little bit this week. So that we'll put them all up on the screen. The first one is this. It really, really hurts to be wronged by somebody, but it really feels good to respond like Jesus. I bet you've been hurt by somebody in your life, right? It's painful. Like, it really hurts to be wronged by somebody. It hurts a lot more to be wronged by somebody and then respond to that wrong, like, right in the moment, right? Because what happens? You think about it later, and what happens? You regret it. You regret it. You go, man, I wish I didn't do that. That hurt. They shouldn't have done that. But, man, I regret the way that I responded to that. Listen, no matter how badly you were wronged by somebody, you will never regret responding the way that Jesus tells us to respond in these verses. You'll never regret it, I promise you. 
some time ago I had a guy who um, who wronged me. Like I had, I did, I said some things, I did some things, and I had the best, I had the best intentions, and he took them very differently than how I intended them, right? And then he wrote me an email that was really harsh. It was, it was really harsh. Not in person, but an email that, that was really tough. And I read it, and then, you know, your heart, you, your heart just starts to race. You, start to get, you get heated. You start to get ticked off. And like, how could he understand what I did that way, right? And I wanted to respond to him. I wanted to get right back on there and start typing, right? And hit the send button. But through the advice of some wise people, I said, don't do that. Just take a step back. And apologize that he took those things that way and that it hurt him. Don't defend yourself. Don't apologize for something he didn't do. But apologize that he was hurt and just see what happens. And guys, I'm so glad I did that. I'm so glad that I did that. You know why? Because it leaves the door open for a future relationship. Right? It's not something that I regret. If we respond the way that Jesus calls us to respond... We will never regret that. And it leads to humility inside of us. That kind of leads me to my second point. Humility is painful to learn, but it's soothing to my soul because it connects me to Jesus. Humility is painful to learn. Like, can we just be honest? Like, humility sounds like this nice, sort of pleasant concept, like so unoffensive, quiet, and gentle. Listen, learning humility is a really painful thing for most people, right? Like, that is a painful thing. When someone's evil to you, when somebody hurts you, it hurts. And to not think about your pain, to not focus on how your rights were violated and how you were hurt, and to not lash out is really tough. That's really painful. But it is so good for our soul to focus on others, humbly focus on others, and get over ourselves. And after that initial sting, humbly uh, uh, receiving somebody else's evil towards you, however major, however minor, allows your soul to connect with Jesus in a really, really unique way. Because think of how many times that happened to Jesus. Think about his life. Think about his ministry. He was rejected by so many people. Told he had a demon. You must have a demon. Rejected over and over and over again. And then at the end of his life, he was rejected by his very closest friends, right? And anywhere along the way, he could have powerfully called upon his rights as God and been justified. But instead, he doesn't do that. He practiced exactly what he preaches here to us in these verses. He humbly didn't resist evil, but he loved them. And he laid down his life for them. It's amazing. And when we do that, when somebody somebody hurts us, when somebody is evil toward us, and we respond with humility, and we take it, we get a chance to connect with Jesus in a very, very intimate way. A very intimate way. And if you've never done that, I challenge you to do that. And as you do that, cling to him and talk to him. And instead of spewing your pain and anger out on somebody else, give it to the Lord. You will connect with him in a deep, deep spiritual way. Last thing. Laying down my rights makes a powerful impact on the world. Laying down my rights makes a powerful, powerful impact on the world. We've talked about our first value here a lot of times, right? We live to make Jesus make sense. We live to make Jesus make sense to anyone who's seeking after him. Let me ask you this. Is that true for you? Like that's, that's our first value as a church. 
Is that true for you? Like, is that important in your life? I hope that it is. Your relationship with God, we've said this numerous times, your relationship with God is not just for you. Like, your relationship with God is not just to save you from the fires of hell and give you eternal life with Him. If that were the case, He wouldn't have left you here. Right? After you and I make a decision to follow Jesus, He would take us to be with Him. But instead, He leaves us here. You're here, and I'm here. Why does He leave us here? Well, He leaves us here with a mission. He leaves us here to make disciples, to help other people experience the freedom and joy and peace and contentment of knowing and loving Jesus. Your life makes an impact on the world. Whether you know it or not, whether you perceive it or not, your life makes an impact on the world. And when you respond the way that Jesus teaches here in these verses, laying down your life, people see it. They see it. It makes an impact on them. And they wonder why. And they may ask you why. And then you have a chance to tell them about the hope that you have in Jesus. See, living this way, laying down our rights, it's so countercultural for us. Like, we live in this wonderful country where we have all kinds of rights, all kinds of privileges. And we need that societally, right? To keep order and peace. We need that. I mean, it makes such a statement. When we as individuals lay down our life, we say, I accept being wronged by somebody. And I will not lash out at them, but I will humbly take it because I love them and I love God. Guys, this is tough, right? Like, this is tough. This is the standard that God calls us to. There's times I read this and I wish Jesus never said this, you know? I wish that he didn't expect this from us because it's hard, but it's so good. And ultimately, living this way leads us to a life of purpose and meaning and hope, and honor, and humility. And it speaks volumes to the world about Jesus. Not just the things that I say, although that's important too, but the way that I live will either draw people to Jesus or push people away from him. I want you to think about that. I want you to feel the weight of that for a minute. The way that you live your life, not just what you think, not just what you say, but the way that we live our lives is either going to draw people to Jesus or it's going to push people away from Jesus. It's a serious stuff. God leaves us here with a mission. Following Jesus, it's beautiful. It's this free gift. Salvation is this free gift, right? Like there's nothing that we could do to earn it, nothing that we could do to impress God. It's given to us as a gift from Him by trusting and loving Jesus, right? But following Jesus costs us everything. And the way that you and I live our lives as his followers impacts the world. For better or worse, it impacts the world. There's a, a guy named Brennan Manning who's a writer. He's a, he, just, he passed away not too long ago. He was a Franciscan priest. But once he said this, a powerful quote, I mean, you may have heard it before. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians. Let that sink in for a second. The, single great, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. I, I, think, I think he's right. I, I, I think he's right. Your life, my life, speaks volumes to people about who Jesus is. And it'll either attract people to him or it will repulse people away from him. I challenge you guys 
think about how we live, and I'm, I'm right in this with all of you. Think about how we live and the impact that we're having on people. It's not easy. It's not easy. And here's, here's the thing. The answer is not try harder. That's not the answer. How, how am I going to make such an impact for Jesus? I've got to try really, really hard. That's not the answer. Now, we're responsible for our choices. But the answer is cling to Jesus. There's a reason why I'm challenging you every week to get in God's word. Because it exposes you to him. Right? To get down on our knees and talk to him. He changes us. When we allow him leadership in our lives, his spirit changes us from the inside out. So no longer is this thing, this standard that Jesus talks about, an impossible thing. But it's what he's changing us into. So I challenge you this week. Get in God's word. Cling to Christ. Allow him to change your heart. Think about what he says. Don't dismiss it and think about every exception. We've got to use wisdom and discernment. Don't dismiss it. Think about what does this look like in my life today? I challenge you to cling to him.